begin transmission. Hello, everybody. It is Chris, a.k.a. Star Raptor, joined by Ben. Just the two of us this week for episode number 68 of the podcast. This week, we're breaking down the disappointing news that the Knights of the Old Republic remake has been delayed. We're also talking about things like the ILM Light and Magic docuseries, all six episodes now streaming on Disney+, Plus, plus some High Republic news, and much more on the podcast this week. How's it going, Ben? Um, good, good. Other than that kind of like um, news we're going to get into, overall, my week's gone pretty well. Um, just some of the little tidbits throughout the week for Star Wars, like some of the Clone Wars connections you've sent me. Those things are cool to hear about. We'll get into that. Um, and then just just the normal like talking Star Wars with other people and talking about it online to other people. And and you can definitely tell um, we're in kind of like a dead zone for Star Wars news because like you, like if you s- just go through several of like content creators or just fans online, if you just look up Star Wars stuff, there's not a lot of Star Wars people's really talking about like right now. Like there's not any big scoops coming out for the most part. There's not any like big controversies on Twitter and the fandom. Like it's just it's just kind of like a quiet space right now before the big storm that is uh, Andor here in a few weeks. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit on the download, but I was on the Star Wars Underworld podcast this week. That's my yep. little plug for the week. Uh, yesterday, in fact, uh, I was on the Star Wars Underworld with Ben Hart, with Jordan, and with Hannah from Culture Slate. We were talking about a lot of the topics we're going to be talking about tonight. So if you want some other input on what we talk about this week and some other stories, uh, make sure you go over to StarWarsUnderworld.com or whatever your podcast streaming service is and uh, go listen to that really good Good discussions on that two-hour uh, podcast that we that we had here, um, but yeah, it's fantastic. Um, time to be a Star Wars fan. We're on the cusp of of a lot of things releasing, and well, you know, it's a side thing. But that that ILM uh, docu series that we'll be talking about a little later definitely has some really good tidbits that um, I can't wait to to break down with you. But as we always start, what has your been? What has been your week in Star Wars, Ben? Um, for me, nothing too, nothing too extravagant, nothing out of the ordinary, like just kind of like the, the same old, same old, I, I've actually discovered, um, I'm, I didn't even think about it before, but I'm going to have to actually, um, like buy the, uh, the second battlefront game, the original one off the Xbox store, since I obviously can't play the disc. So I'm probably going to buy that. Um, cause that's only 10 bucks. And I just really hope, you know, just talking about that game. Like, I guess my uh, weekend Star Wars is more thinking along the lines of gaming, since we are talking, we're going to be talking about KOTOR a lot late, later tonight. I I wish they would come out with some of the other, like, games as, like, backwards compatible, like, you know, get Shadows of the Empire somehow on console, get um, the Kenobi game on console, like, those type of things. Like, I wish they they could just somehow, like, backwards compatible like every single star wars game that's out there and just like you know i I feel like the way star wars could do it um you know for for profit of course is like make it into like a star wars package like you have ea play why not have star wars play and like boom there you go across all platforms like that could be a big thing and then you know have it like you know your games being there or something because there's so many like backwards compatible games like that could easily be put on console 
And, you know, it's just a matter of like, of just wishing they were, but you know, I, I don't, I don't think we'll ever get like the Kenobi game. Um, that's always like been the pipe dream or even just like an updated Com- Republic commando game, um, with updated graphics, like they did with the halo series, for example, that would be really sweet. Um, just little odds and end things like that would be, um, would be, was kind of like what I was thinking about this week. Yeah, it's interesting because there are a lot of games that are released on different platforms, but not on Xbox. For instance, if you look at Steam, there are several, several titles. Um, I'm going to actually pick up my my Steam account right now, and I'll tell you exactly what's on there and what isn't on Xbox. Cause I, I'm pretty sure I can guess at most of those. Um, so if I'm going through the list... You know, Star Wars Dark Forces isn't on there. Jedi Knight Dark Forces. You got Jedi Academy. You got Jedi Outcast. You got Knights of Republic 1 and 2. Republic Commando. You do not have Rogue Squadrons 3D. You do not have Shadows of the Empire. Uh, you do n- uh, Starfighter they have. Force Unleashed 1 and 2. Uh, TIE Fighter. Star Wars TIE Fighter and X-Wing. That's only ever been on, um, on uh, PC. So yeah, there's a couple. Then there's one that's on PlayStation or actually, I think there could be a couple on PlayStation. I don't believe Racer is on Xbox, but it might be on PlayStation. But the big one for me that really is uh, irks me is the fact that they don't have Star Wars Bounty Hunter on Xbox, but yet yep. they have it on PlayStation. Like, that is one of my most replayed Star Wars games because I'm such a big plan, uh, big fan of that. So, um, Oh, that game was yeah. excellent back in the day. Like, that was, that was one of the most um, fun stories, like... You know, the fact that you're being Django Fett, especially like during the time period of like Attack of the Clones, like coming out and all of that, like that was such a great game back then. It's like, gosh, I wish it was on Xbox because I would play it right now if it was if it was available. I would go and buy it for 10 bucks or whatever um, and play it just because, you know, that was a fun game. And I feel like if, you, if they bring back like a game like that, it would it would potentially, you know, it wouldn't make millions and millions of dollars, but it would make a few thousand dollars i would say probably because fans of the mandalorian would would i'm sh- i'm sure they would pick it up oh, just yeah. because it's like oh my gosh i'm playing as a bounty hunter you know blah 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 like you know it's that whole thing so i feel like that game if they would kind of like re-soft launch it onto the xbox that would that would bring in some money like maybe i don't know maybe 500 grand like a half million or something like you know just something to uh you know do and i'm sure i'm sure it would be cheap to uh to transfer over it's just a matter of like why not (laughs) is my question yeah that was back in the time where i was in this weird area where i didn't have an xbox i didn't have a playstation 2 so i was playing a lot of these third uh these third party x or these third party star wars games on a gamecube (laughs) so i had that i had jedi outcast all on gamecube but um yeah you better believe they released that Django fett game on Xbox, I'd buy it in a heartbeat. You know, I'd buy it so quick. Because, like, exactly, right? That's the zeitgeist of what's going on. People love the Mandalorians. So what not? You know, screw it. Just make I a mean, new... Boba, Boba talks about his father in the Mandalorian, even. Like, yeah. tied into that. Like, like, hey, there you go. If you if you go to advertise, re-advertise this, this bounty hunter game, show, like, the clip of Boba, like, talking about his father <laughs> and blah, 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 and then, boom, father, Boba Fett. Bounty Hunter returns. Oh, man. Like, so, yeah, I mean, and even going back further, right, I don't know how they would do this, but, like, get the Super Nintendo Star Wars games. Those yeah. are legendary. There are legendary games that I'm sure 
there'd be so many people covering those because people love like the really difficult games. I mean, just look at Elden Ring, right? I could see so many like Twitch streamers and stuff like trying to like get through without dying once and everything, and that'd be so darn difficult. Well, you can't save. I mean, like yeah. those games, you know, those games were like impossible. If you didn't have like a chunk of time to play it, you're done, basically. Like uh -huh. those games were a blast. And like we for sure and of course, like I'm sure especially with you, but we for sure need Shadows of the Empire like adapted to to uh to Xbox. Cause man, that would be awesome. Like I I know you would be like doing a full walkthrough on your oh, channel yeah. with that. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to shout out to chat. We have Jesse Bennett. Friday plans canceled. Here I am. Thanks for joining me. I was recently on his podcast, so go ahead and check that out when it comes out. He does a, po a podcast called uh, Question Possible Answer, where it's basically we pick a topic and we like a movie, for instance, and we kind of talk about the multiverse aspect of it from a certain degree of like, what would happen if this happened and like talk about the physics of certain things happening if they could happen. So that was a lot of fun. We nice. talked about the Sonic movie, um, had a great time for the first time on his podcast. So uh, go ahead, follow, follow that question, possible answer podcast on any of your preferred podcast networks. I do not believe that episode is up quite yet, but it is in the works right now. So yeah, but he's also chiming in, Jesse. I remember a Rogue Squadron's game on GameCube had a co-op Death Star run. One of my favorite missions. Yeah, I think that that probably was Rogue Leader, um, if I'm not mistaken. There, there was two different Rogue Squadron games on GameCube. There was Rogue Squadron 2, Rogue Leader, Rogue Squadron 3, Rebel Strike. And I want to say that was in Rogue Leader, but I don't remember the co-op part. That's really interesting. Like, one of you could be Biggs, and one of you could be, like, Luke, that that would be. Yeah, see, I I feel like really I remember fun. that because because my cousin had a GameCube back then. I think I'm pretty sure I remember that too. I mean, you may you may have just not like played it back then, or you know, just you know may may have not. But I feel like I I remember playing a co-op on that game. I think. Yeah, that's got to be a topic for a future <laughs> podcast. Is Star Wars games we want to see get the remastered slash or remake status. Cause there are a bunch that I would love to do, and and that could be that could be a lot of fun. Looking looking into the future of like, hey, if Lucasfilm wants to canonize some of these adventures that a lot of them are legends, they got a lot of cool yeah. content to pull from. So, oh for sure. I mean, we could do those. There's plenty of um, heck, you could turn um, especially with like so many of the free app games nowadays. Like you could turn like say the Masters of Terrace Kai game into like oh a free gosh. just. Just a free fighting game, you know, on on the Xbox Store, and like add in your battle passes and stuff just to make oh you know gosh. make some money off there. Like, and you know, people 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 enjoy those like kind of button mashing fighting games. I mean, you know, we were talking before the call the multiverse game that just came yep. out. Like, people people love that stuff because it takes, I mean, it takes quote unquote no skill because it's not like it's like Halo where it's like intensive where you're having to pay attention to every little thing. Like you're just moving left and right and up and down on the screen fighting. And um, you know, I, I'm not great at that game, but still it's just fun, you know, it's just kind of like mindless gaming, just just entertainment. And like I feel like something like that with Star Wars, I mean heck, at this rate, now that I'm talking it out, let's just let's just get like a Star Wars Super Smash Brothers style game. Might as well at this at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean hunters, they got hunters, that's pretty goofy. So they're True. not they're not far off 
far off from that. Um, as far as my week in Star Wars, I received a cool gift from a client. And this is this is nice because I have a couple of these already. But what I received is a little Lego set. So this is pretty cool. Like a little Han Solo micro fighter. I have the... Oh, nice. Now let me show you the ones I have right now because I can actually grab them. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's that's pretty sweet. Yeah, so I have the um, airspeeder here, and I have the little AT-AT right there. So there you go. These are nice little compact uh, little vehicles that you can really put anywhere. So that's why I like it's not a huge set, you know what I mean? But they're mm -hmm. small enough to, to just put somewhere on your desk, whatever. So now I got a Millennium Falcon I got to build, and they're very quick to build. They're, they're, this thing's like 100 pieces or something like that. So. Oh, yeah, those... Those little sets are really neat. Like my cousin actually, um, his girlfriend got him the the Luke's Landspeeder one, actually. Um, but yeah, those those sets, uh, those sets are like really great value. Like you mentioned, you can get them for your desk and, you know, whether you're at work, at home, wherever, put them on your shelf, et cetera. Like those are nice little little pieces to set out. Yeah, it's got Han Solo, so it's like I got a, you know, I got a Han Solo here. This is this is something I've needed. Not that I have a lot exactly. of Legos, but I mean, <laughs> come on, you gotta you gotta have one of the big three in Lego form, I guess. So, <laughs> but for everybody that's joining us live, um, thank you for joining us. Send your thoughts and comments in a chat, just like Jesse Bennett has been doing. Um, if you're listening after the fact, go ahead and join us. Friday nights around 9 o'clock Eastern is when we do go live on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash starraptor. And you can catch us after the fact. New episodes premiere on any podcast streaming network, including Google, Apple, Spotify, and more on Monday mornings. So there you go. We have a Teespring as well. If you want to represent our brand, Outer Rim Transmission, just go to teespring.com and search Outer Rim Transmission. You'll find our merch over there. So without further ado, we're going to jump into... What's out this week? And uh, there's some pretty big things, some things that also disappointed me. Um, so getting into uh, the first thing here, we're going to go through the comics. And the first thing we have here on our docket is Dr. Aphra issue number 22. Now this one was, was a nice surprise. This one had Dr. Aphra. Uh, she's been taken over. This is as Dr. Aphra crazy as it gets with this current storyline with these ascendant people who are... These dark side, they're not dark side users, but they are this ancient people cult. You want to call them a cult that like is obsessive over the Sith and they want to emulate the Sith. So they use technology like magnets and different things to emulate them like pseudo using Sith power. So we get to see um, after getting one of these artifacts called the Spark Eternal, which turns her basically into an evil undead version of Dr. Afra. So this issue is all about inside of her head going through her past memories with this dark entity side-by-side side, re-experiencing her memories from inside her own head. So very trippy, very crazy, very cool. Now the next issue I want to talk about is Obi-Wan issue number three. And I had already told you about this one, Ben, where I was like, yeah, this is probably one of the best, uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, I'm just showing the issue off right now. The cover has Obi-Wan 
Coding a legion of the 212th behind him, valiantly standing up um, to what is to come in the Battle of Abron Bridge. And this issue, on so many levels, is what I've been looking for from Star Wars comics for a long time. It uses the medium of the comics to really push through a, an original specific tale that is comp that is all compiled into one simple story, all standalone, that goes from start to finish and adds a lot of detail and adds a lot of um, stakes as well as some losses and different things. So that's what I really love about this issue. Even before we get into the battle, I was already loving the issue because as I was talking to Ben, he alluded to earlier in this episode, it does canonize some of the things from Tarkovsky's Clone Wars, such as Grievous on Hypori, where he slays all these Jedi and Kaina Mundi's there. That's the first appearance of Grievous, and that's a, they literally say that in this. That's the first time they've seen him. And then we also get the whole thing with Dantooine with Mace Windu just slaying a bunch of droids. Now, if you want to be very specific, the Brotherhood novel by Mike Chen already kind of canonized those events, but still, it's cool seeing those in comic book form. Um, so what do you have to say about that, first of all, Ben? I know you might have a few words about how they've been sprinkling in oh, yeah. some, some of the things hey. like that. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know you know me. I love that Clone Wars series, and the fact they're canonizing different parts of it is awesome. And, like, to me, that makes me think they're going to probably continue to keep... They'll continue... I would say they'll probably continue to, like, sprinkle them in more and more here and there. And basically, you know, just continue to add them in where where possible. Like, I mean, you know, it's it's the whole thing of, like, why not? Like, if, if there's a slot where you can fit that story in, then why not just canonize it and add it into canon? And, you know, like, in this case, in this um, instance, you can make kind of a new story around the event, and then... You know, like at the end of the day, you can profit off it. You can make a cool comic, and like you just said, it's it's one of your most favorite comics. Like the the look of it, etc. Like all of that, I feel like it's like a win for all sides. Like for Disney, for Star Wars, for us as fans, like getting these type of events canonized. You know, to me, it's great for the Tartakovsky Clone Wars, but it's also great in general for canon as a whole. Because that means they can continue to cherry pick from Legends to make, basically pick out whatever like the really good stories are from Legends and work with them in the uh, the current like continuity, basically. Yeah. So getting into the actual story, before I even get into that, I was remembering the build up to this. Even at Celebration, yep. Christopher Cantwell was talking about this issue specifically on the panel for Marvel, and he was saying he actually had to go through so much research because this is an entirely new battle that was brought up. And this is in the early onset of the the battles in the Clone Wars, right? This is like that season one type of... Like, we are like year one of Clone Wars out of three. It's after the events of um, the, the Christophus. It's after the events of Hypori. It's even after the events of what happens with rookies on that like little outpost there. So they got information about this bridge. But what makes this story so good is like they, they build up the the stakes and everything by like showing the clones like Cody like acknowledging that one of the clones decided to take his own name rather than identification number so so is that individuality it shows like the whole crux of the story is Obi-Wan struggling with the fact early in the Clone Wars that the Jedi have suddenly become generals and they are not um they're peacekeepers like and that that goes along hand in hand with again Mike Chen's Brotherhood novel which really delves a lot into those ideologies of what are the Jedi actually? What's their purpose? Are they doing what they should be doing? Are they setting out to be what they are meant to be? And all those like kind of like 
questions at the heart of it, right? Um, but then there's just some kick-ass action. There's things I've wanted to see in the Clone Wars, such as full-scale wars where they have assaults at sea, assaults on a bridge from both directions where you have multiple units just like coordinating together in a way that it's drawn by Al Alessandro um, to be very easy to follow and very epic and very big and lots of great coloring all around. And it's really neat to see like it's not always just droids and clones because they actually this might be the first time I've ever seen it where they actually had like like regular humans fighting with the clones and, and regular aliens fighting with the separatists. So it's interesting because Obi-Wan was like thinking about all, all the lives that he had to kill on the other side. Not not just, you know, biotic things like organics that he had to like kill to, to win the day. And, and Obi-Wan at one point was like basically like giving into victory, giving into that bloodlust from a certain degree of like the war. Like, yes, we're winning this. And he had to take himself back for a moment. Like, how am I behaving this way? Like, this is not right. I should not be relishing in war. And you see him, like, handling a dead clone trooper. The same one that was named in the beginning of the, the issue was this, like, the very heartfelt moment between Obi-Wan and the clone. But, man, oh, man, yeah, I have an entire review of this issue on the channel already, but I just can't say enough good things about this. And I immediately went on Twitter and said, we need, like, an entire miniseries of, like, one-off, like, epic-scale Clone Wars battles of this magnitude. Because there's still so much, even though we had, like, you know, over 100 episodes of Clone Wars, like, those episodes involving the clones were my favorite. Like, the rookies, yeah. um, the, the, the Umbara arc, all that, that landed at Point Rain with Geonosis, um, the stuff we've seen in the later episodes as well, just fantastic stuff. Well, hey, I mean, you know, I'm always, like, the bring back Tartakovsky guy, like, why not, if, if they don't want to, like, say, invest full-scale money into, like, the CG version of Clone Wars, bring Tart Gendry Tartakovsky back to do... Like start oh, adapting, uh, adapt all of these comics into the little five, eight minute stories. Like, you know, because he obviously has a track record. Like to me, um, not because I love it so much, but like those that his Clone Wars series, there's not a bad episode in that series because each episode's like five, six, seven, eight minutes. And like he knows how to tell the story so concise. So, uh, you know, he gets the point across. And I feel like he would be like the perfect person to adapt a lot of these like Clone Wars era comics, like he could adapt, you know, more of this story. He could adapt, you know, whatever stories are coming next or that have came prior in the Clone Wars comics, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I feel like, you know, he would be like a perfect one, you know, especially with the anime style. Now that we're getting visions, you know, boom, bring him back into the fold and have him be like the Clone Wars anime guy. Mm. That would be interesting. There's a lot of potential for that. There really is, and yeah. uh, you would think it's cheaper to do that kind of animation. I would, I would expect. I'm not you an animation assume. expert, but you would think that that would have to be. And that that goes to age old, old age old question for us canon fans out there: Are they going to ever adapt, let's say, Dark Disciple, or Brotherhood, even, or something to that degree where it's like, okay. Does Disney and, and Lucasfilm want to want to invest money in stories that already have been told, but maybe to reach a wider audience? It's a very hard to answer thing because it's like, yes, it'd be great, but also they could also tell stories that are meant to be in the live action or animated medium that I haven't seen yet. So I'm kind yeah. of like well, picky. Where well, it's like, I so get, that would be cool, I, I, but like put money towards new stories too, you know? 
Well, I guess let me turn turn that um, whole like analysis back around on you. So let's, for example, say, would you? Of course, we love these like Lego specials. We'll talk about them, et cetera, coming up um, later. But if you could cut out, say, the summer Lego special and um, whatever, say two Lego specials, like so an hour and a half worth of content, will you cut that out and do an hour and a half adaptation of Brotherhood? Hmm. Type, you know, like a mini movie type deal. See, that's that's like to me where where like, you know, where you're putting your resources at. Like, would you chop down on some of these other like, for example, even like the um, like the project with, say, all the uh, given it, I, I'm sure it was like really cheap, like the uh, the project with all the environments, cut that out, cut some of the Lego stuff out, put some of those resources toward adapting, even just do one novel per year or something or one novel per quarter like so do like four books per year or something no and like go from there like see that's that's the that's the hard you know like you said it's hard do you want do you want new stories or do you want them to adapt the books the lego stuff has to stay man i feel like that's great content for all ages and yeah it usually gets a large resonant i mean they wouldn't keep doing them if they weren't doing well right this would be the third one They've been doing one a year. I don't think they've been doing more than one. One came out a holiday. That was November. Then the following oh, year, yeah, they got one true. October. This is a new year, so I don't expect them to come out with any more after this. They would have announced that at Celebration if they were. I mean, the year's already halfway over, right? So I would assume that there may not... Maybe they'll have one in February for Valentine's Day, right? Or something like that. <laughs> It'd be 2023. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I like the idea that that can be seasonal content. And it's content that we know the quality of, and it's there for all ages. But yeah, I mean, why can't they maybe do one novel adaptation a, day? I'm not, a year? I'm not saying that they have to do like multiple a year, but maybe one yeah. a year would be a pretty cool idea. I'd, I'd, it's well, just, well, yeah. my, well my, my thing with that is I think the way you do it too, to like say kind of like maximize your profit is don't do it as soon as brotherhood comes out like wait a full calendar year till it's ran its cycle basically and then release it like so you're releasing it you know a year later and like expand you're expanding the lifespan of the brotherhood story by like another year basically by releasing a movie versus like you know if you release it alongside the book and if it's on disney plus then people you know you'll have people going why would I spend the whatever 15, 20 bucks on the book when I just have, I can stream it. So like, you know, I think if you like kind of like stagger the releases, almost like they're doing with the legends books now, like, you know, you're doing them here and there. They're not going boom and releasing all the legends. Like, you know, we're, they're not coming out saying we're releasing 30 legends books all at once. Yeah. Like they're, they're staggering them. So like yeah. maybe just stagger the release. Like, you know, if you're releasing brotherhood this year, like maybe next march they're like oh hey guys we're releasing a brotherhood mini movie animated etc like yeah i something think, like that i think ben a good model for this would be you look at dc right they have a lot of original oh, animation, yeah. but then every once in a while they do get an adaptation a loose adaptation of something like injustice or um the long or, halloween the long halloween or whatever one that didn't go well with the joker and he kills Batgirl or something. What was that one called? Yeah. Um, it's the famous one. I, I don't know, but just say a name and anything's been basically adapted in uh, in DC, right? So yep. they could take that approach, right? And, and, and do that. 
Um, speaking of Legends books, I want to throw this one out there because I didn't originally think of this. And I was out in New York City, as I'm often at uh, in Brooklyn. We were just walking around this mall. I was like, oh, let me check Target. Going to see that the Star Wars section of books. And then they didn't really have a, a large one. Then I went to another store. Literally not a single Star Wars book in that entire bookstore. And it was like a, a really nice bookstore. I went to science fiction. Not a single Star Wars book. I was like, what is happening here? Then I flashed forward to Wednesday going to my comic book store. And, you know, they've got a new owner in the last, like, six months. And he's been doing a good job of bringing stuff that's not just comics in. Like, he's been bringing records and a lot more toys and merchandise and I'm walking around, and I end up seeing, like, an entire area of Star Wars books all of a sudden. Like, wait, what? Like, this is the largest selection I've seen of Star Wars books in any place in recent memory. And I was just sitting there. And it was, like, all the canon books in paper. They were all paperback. It was, like, all the canon paperback books. And, like, all almost all the Legends books on these, like, three or four shelves. And I'm just, like... Holy crap. <laughs> and I went up to the guy and I was like, did somebody just sell their whole book collection? He's like, you could say that. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> oh, yeah. So like, I was the like, I told him, I was like, well, if there's anything left, he's like, oh, yeah, people have already bought like 10 or 20 of these books in the last couple of days. I'm like, well, if there's anything left next week, I'll bring extra money and maybe I'll buy a couple. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. Some of those places you can find really good finds like my. um, So like every year. We go to Virginia Beach in June usually. I mean, as our viewers know, like I was I was talking from Virginia Beach a few back a month ago. Um, so like back probably four years ago, five years ago, we went there. And then usually on our way back to our cousins from the beach, there's a uh, there's like a Goodwill there. And it's literally an old Supercenter Walmart that got converted. So it's huge. And like they have a big book section, like an entire one of their entire walls is a book section. And. I kid you not, it was like a similar experience as you had, Chris. It was like one entire section. It was like every single like Star Wars legend book possible. And I was just like, man, I want to literally oh. just buy every single one of these things because they were only like two bucks a piece. Um, but, you know, we had flown. So it's like, you know, I can't bring back like yeah. 40, 40 books or something. But if uh, if we would have drove driven that time, I would have probably bought a hundred bucks worth of those books and just bought basically the whole like legends. Cause there was literally like 40, 50 books there. Oh, and it was wow. like, and it was like, Oh man, this is killing me because I just want to like spend, you know, like I said, they're only two bucks a piece. It's like, oh, I just want to buy them all. Yeah. But, uh, but like some of those stores like that, you can just find odds and end deals like that on books or like, like you said, like people will sell off their book collections and inevitably if they're like, say, you know, say someone from the 90s, early 2000s, an adult back then would be like maybe 40s, 50s, 60s. Now, you know, they might be just getting rid of the books and, you know, we're finding like whole collections. Yeah. So that that was a lot of fun. I wasn't expecting to see that. It was like a joyful moment. Um, it's like, oh, man, this is this is pretty cool. The Legends fans are, are out there in full force. Um, and the other thing that came out this week, going back, flashing back to our chronological show notes from you know, surprise. <laughs> we don't we don't have a whole lot, which is why we're kind of um, vamping a little bit on this podcast, which is perfectly fine because some of the best conversations happen in just nonchalant ways like we are tonight. But I also picked up this novel, and this is what I alluded to earlier. I'm not really a big fan of this book so far. 
As you can see, I'm almost done uh -huh. already. Um, <laughs> Star Wars, Star Wars Padawan. Uh, this is written by Kirsten White. This is the book that really showcases. It's a young adult novel. It showcases Obi Wan in the first. It seems like first weeks or so that he basically became the Padawan of Qui Gon Jinn. Essentially, what happens is Qui Gon Jinn is just Obi Wan. Just feels like he is not the right match for Qui Gon. Apparently, Yoda picked Qui Gon picked Obi Wan for Qui Gon to train. Like usually, the master has to train and pick their own pupil, their own Padawan. But in the weird case of this situation, Yoda was like, "Hey, Qui Gon, you got to train this little kid, Obi Wan." And he's 16. He's like, okay. So Obi-Wan is like the complete opposite of Qui-Gon. He doesn't want to meditate. And all Qui-Gon wants to do is meditate. Obi-Wan wants to seek adventure. Loves lightsaber combat. And Qui-Gon really doesn't want him to do that. Qui you know, all his friends, which one of them is named Siri from Legends, from the uh, Young Apprentice, whatever the heck those novels are you're yep. talking about. Um, yep, Young Apprentice novels. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, well, all his friends that are Padawans now, they all are going to these adventures all over this, you know, the galaxy and all that stuff. And he's stuck on Coruscant. So uh, I'll give him too much way. Eventually he finds a clue to something that takes him off planet. He doesn't want to wait for Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon is not responding for whatever reason. And he goes off planet to this planet. He finds these kids that have force type abilities. And that's where the story kind of grinds to a halt for me. And it's and what I will say, this is the first impression. I'm not done with the book, so I can't like give it like complete um, thoughts right now. But what I will say is, it's it feels like it's it's a really good young adult novel without a lot of the Star Wars I expect to see from a Star Wars book. So there's a lot of great like in the head of Obi Wan, and I will say I'm almost burdened like hit over the head with it too much because it's probably the only star wars book i read that has literally one perspective one character the entire book so for me that i like having jumping between different characters because it helps the pacing a lot but when you literally are in the head of obi-wan kenobi for 400 something pages it starts to get like a little old really and, and the thing is i i feel like it is a little bit repetitive like we keep having the thoughts of obi-wan saying repeatedly like i want to leave the jedi order Maybe because Qui-Gon's not paying attention to me. Why are my friends getting this attention and I'm not? And it's very much emo Obi-Wan, to put it lightly. Very much emo <laughs> Obi-Wan. Um, but, like, all that stuff works great for a young adult novel of anything. But when you have Star Wars as a label on this, I expect to see some lightsaber combat. There's been none of that. I expect to see something that ties in with something and it's just so far flung on its own if you take obi-wan out of this equation it could be just anything and i think that really hurts it in the end because i expect there to be some more substance to a star wars story but i think the writing is good it's doing what a young adult novel needs to do which is it's that coming of age story right the people reading this that it's aimed for the kids that are in high school it's teaching them a lesson about power doing what's right you know, exploring, understanding who you are as a person at this moment of transition. So it's doing all that stuff well. I just wish there was a little bit more Star Warsing in the Star Wars book. <laughs> oh man, that's that's tough. Like that's that's a tough, uh, uh, a tough, tough, tough sounding novel. I would say, or tough sounding young adult book. Like I just um, like to me, especially the whole the whole concept coming from Obi Wan's perspective virtually the entire time like i i think 
without even reading it, like, you know, take take my opinion with a grain of salt just because I haven't read it yet. But from one character's perspective the entire time, like, to me, that is a complete turnoff as a reader um, and, and just in my experience because you have to, like, with a lot of books, you know, you have to give the story time to breathe. Yeah. And... And, like, I, I don't want to be the person, like, always comparing it to, like, Legends because they're Legends books now. But, like, for example, in, like, the original Jedi Apprentice series, like, the storyline you have, it's broken up into multiple things. Like, you know, Obi-Wan has his whole uh, stuff in the beginning of that series and he leaves the Jedi Order. He basically gets sent to be pretty much like a worker on a planet. And you have his, like, like stuff going on with him on that planet. And then it cuts back, and you know, you're dealing with Qui-Gon going on a mission, dealing with pirates and this sort of stuff. And you get actually in like that series, you get solo Qui-Gon, you know, fighting pirates and whatnot. And like you get stuff like that where it lets the story breathe before him and Obi-Wan even meet. I mean, heck, he doesn't even become like Obi-Wan's master for like five or six books. So like, you know, that that story was played out over many, many books versus just one. So like... um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to like compare, but to me, I don't know, like the whole idea just in general of like coming from Obi-Wan's perspective, mainly for a book is just, mm-hmm. it, it's a pass in my opinion. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I don't want to look too much into this and forgive me if I'm sounding like, oh, is this a conspiracy or something? But um, I know a friend of mine was saying that like he didn't receive a advanced reading copy for this book. Yeah, it's really strange, he said. He's like, they always give me one. Um, I really didn't see any publicity about the book. They didn't release any excerpts ahead. So I just don't know if Lucasfilm didn't have confidence in this book. Again, I'm not trying to like sound like, oh my gosh, the sky is falling with this book or something. But I just found it curious how that happened. But I mean, for those of you that are Obi-Wan fans, I, I, you know, I'll put my review out pretty soon. I'll probably finish this by tomorrow because it's a, it's a quick read, at least with that. It's a quick read. Um, but it's just, again, I, I, I was hoping for a little bit more, hoping for a little bit more. Got plenty of introspection, maybe a little bit too much of it, um, and not enough plot substance because I feel like the plot itself is very just like, okay, what are we doing here? We're... We're going back and forth. We're doing this. There's a cool High Republic connection, which is the thing that excited me the most is the whole crux of the story is following like clues left behind from a very prominent High Republic Jedi that we all know about. So that is the one thing that's like really keeping me reading is like learning more about like, oh, why is this character in the story? And I just got to a chapter where it's revealing why this person was there and, and what could happen next and all this sort of thing. Um, so it, I am happy that they are connecting the dots with with the High Republic in like the more current times, especially with the Jedi. We know um, there was a moment in one of the Star Wars comics where Luke Skywalker ended up on in this like um, I want to say it's a sort of um, uh, not Minban Mortis. I was thinking of the other M word. It's like a Mor- Mortis chapter where, where Luke goes into this planet. And finds Elzar Mann, who is one of the most prominent Jedi in all of the High Republic. And Elzar Mann is, like, telling him about the High Republic and about how everything was going down there. And it was, like, a really cool, like, info dump. But it was neat to see, like, Luke, you know, interacting with a character that was, like, around 200 years prior. So it's neat that we're seeing, like, stuff, like, retroactively kind of inserted and make, you know, make it feel like it's a cohesive galaxy, which it should be with canon and all. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Like, like those type of things are nice, um, nice additions to like overall canon, the overall story. Like, like I was having a similar discussion this week with somebody. I was recommending them like the Catalyst book for you yep. know for you know tying into Rogue One because they were asking me like you know what's a good book that like ties in with the movies. And I was like, Catalyst is like probably as close as you can get to like a tie into a movie because, you know, it's the characters directly involved, etc. So, um, you know, it's nice when you have pieces of content that just tie in, like you said, tie in with like the greater scope of the galaxy, whether it be like Luke connecting with that Elzar man um, or like Obi-Wan dealing with his stuff with this um, higher public, like the clues and whatnot. Like, you know, it's nice when you're getting connections versus you know, just being like not recognized, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So there you have it. Uh, keep locked on the channel. My review will be coming soon for Star Wars Padawan by Kirsten White. And with that said, we're going to move on to our main topic this evening. And it's a topic I did not ever want to discuss. Who wants to ever discuss um, delays, especially with me when it comes to video games, which it's it's just a problem anymore, guys. Um Every other day, we're seeing game after game after game getting delayed. Like, what's going on? I think what's happening is we're getting to that point where these games were... Okay, so so a lot of the games that came out during the pandemic were already, like, 90% done. So they were at that point where they were in the polishing stages where yeah, if they had to work from home, they'd be good. They can, they can finish that game because it's almost done already. So like, a lot of the 2020 releases were fine. A lot of 2021 releases are fine. And we're looking at 2022, and this is where it's catching up, because a lot of these games were literally like in the middle of being produced, and these studios had to scramble and find ways of coordinating work and all, and now they're finding that, you know, even a couple of years later, they're still like grinding to a halt when it comes to some of these things. So now we're seeing more and more of those later developed games getting pushed back, whether it be the Xbox games, whether it be the PlayStation games, to the third-party games, and now we have Knights of the Republic Remake was supposed to come out uh, at the 2023, I think people were saying. Now, according to this report, this comes from Bloomberg. This is uh, a legit uh, break of news because this comes from somebody that is often breaking news, Jason Schreier, uh, formerly of Kotaku Games. Um, so yeah, apparently they basically, this, this game is being made by Asper. They are a development house that makes basically ports. They've ported overnight to the Republic to iPhone, iOS. Uh, they've since done Republic Commando and Pod Racing and all those like games we were talking about in the beginning of the show. A lot of those games basically ported over. So what does that mean? That basically means when you port a game, you're taking the old code and you're maybe allowing it to run on a new system. Let's say an Xbox game can now run on a Nintendo Switch. So a lot of it is, I don't, I'm not a game developer, so I don't want to try to act like I know what I'm doing here, but it's not a lot of work compared to building a game from the ground up. So these guys were contracted to work under the leadership of uh, Lucasfilm Games, right? This isn't EA, this is Aspire. And they are being helped by Sony Online Interactive or whatever they are called, Sony Interactive Entertainment, SIE, I think. So they're being bankrolled by Sony as well, which is why this is going to be a, um exclusive game for PlayStation and PC and maybe eventually hit Xbox. Who knows? So basically what happened was uh, recently they had put out a demo, which is like a vertical slice. Like they took one part of the game 
and showed it to uh, the investors, I guess, or whoever was looking at this thing. And the week later, they basically fired the game director and uh, the art director of the game, or the design director and the art director. Um, and they had no idea that this was happening to them. They were complete, it was completely unexpected. And now, according to somebody, like this game um, would now have a more realistic target of at least... 2025 but right now like everything is like delayed they're saying that they're bringing in another company called saber interactive who worked on a lot of the halo games and stuff like to help port them and things like that for the master chief collection so yeah it's completely in flux right now i kind of seen this coming not that i wanted to say that but like i was put it this way i was questionable i was hesitant when they announced the developer being asper as i mentioned they are not well-versed with making games from the ground up, so I don't know why you would choose them. I understand, like, Bioware, the original developers of, of Knights of the Republic, they were guys, they're guys that are busy right now. They have Mass Effect 4, they're working on Dragon Age 3, or Dragon Age 4, sorry. So they're very busy with, with stuff over there. Um, but I don't know, they could have gotten another seasoned developer, right, to, to work on this. I'm not saying that these guys aren't up for the challenge, but obviously something... Something went wrong, and it's uh, it's terrible to see people lose their jobs. Obviously, um, but I just hope this gets resolved. And uh, yeah, that's my first salvo of thoughts on this matter. I'll throw it over to you, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much back everything you said. Just said like, and uh, you know, you did mention that like when we talked about this months ago, uh, when we talked about this, the first initial news of this game, like that was a concern you raised on that podcast episode. Um, so, you know, now it's like, unfortunately, it reared its ugly head. And the bad thing about the whole situation is, you know, you presumably have been working on this game two, three years. And then, like, you fire the art director and the and the, the design director and stuff. And, like, you know, firing your art director and your design person, like, that's pretty pretty much means you're starting over. You yeah. Know? You're, basically yeah. Starting, you're basically starting from square one again. So it's like, you know, we're looking at another, like you said, another pop probably three years so 2025 at the earliest i'm i would lean more toward like 2026 at this point honestly and to me it's just um of course this isn't like directly like lucasfilm because it's a game um it's a game game developer but to me it's like it's like gosh it all of these like things keep happening with star wars in general and it just makes me want to like pull my hair out you know um and I joked to my one buddy, I was like, well, now uh, now the island of like movies that have been announced but canceled can, you know, they'll have a video game to play on that island now at yeah. this point. And it's just like, I want this game to come out and and it's like, here we are. So it's like, what's next? I mean, I mean, look, we dealt with that with Lego. Lego kept getting pushed, getting pushed, oh getting pushed. God. I mean, at least, it, at least it finally came out was a great game. Oh, yeah. But it's just the whole... At this point, by the time this game's out, it'll pr probably been worked on for like six or seven years. And it's just like, I don't know. There's just so many like management issues. Um, and of course, like I, like I like I caveat it is it is um, it's not directly under like the purview of like um, the main people at Lucasfilm. But still, um, like to me, it's just not a good look for Star Wars as a whole, like as a brand. Because you have a lot of people online, like I saw people like on Twitter, like, you know, whatever, Twitter's Twitter, so take that for what you will. 
like when this news was breaking, yeah. I saw I saw plenty of people posting like like bullet points. Oh, list of Star Wars things that have been delayed since Disney bought Star Wars, and it was like do 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 add add Knights of the Old Republic, you know. So like I saw I see people like talking like that, and they're throwing the game like Knights of the Old Republic in with like the Boba Fett movie, the Kenobi movie, like things like that. And like, to me, like I, I'm as critical as it gets when it comes to star Wars. Like if, if they mess up, it's like, I'll tell you about it. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but to me, it's like star Wars now is getting kind of like an unfair, like bludgeoning from the fans because now it's like, you know, because of like this game issue. Now this is getting thrown in with the movie issues and making like the movie side of things look worse when it, when it shouldn't be. And it's just like, you know, you have these type of things keep happening and it's like, oh man, like can I joke to my 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 good friend, I was like, can Star Wars just ever catch a break? Like like it just it just seems like Star Wars keeps taking on the chin like all <laughs> these controversies, all these delays, all these things. It's like, can we can we get like a four year stretch? Actually not even a four year. Can we get a two year stretch of like nothing going wrong at star wars like that's all i ask and it's like i, I don't know it just, it just makes it really tough on the brand as a whole because you know then you compare it to like marvel and like what has marvel done really wrong in the last even fifth, 10 years or whatever like they haven't so it's just like i, I don't know it, it's just star wars is in a tough spot right now yeah, the thing that bothers me, right, is if you look at all the games that are currently in development, which I will talk about as soon as I get my thoughts out here, but out of all the games, you think this would be the most surefire game, right? I mean, first of all, you have a game that is still technically Legends, as was stated in the announcement. They are not Well, the legacy is, behind it. Yeah, but this is, this is a Legends game, so they don't have to yep. go through as much care as, let's say, Jedi Survivor. They don't have to check back with Lucasfilm for how a chair looks or how a door opens and, and, and the really crazy minutia that we hear from just how they have to deal with this like canonical storytelling. I would assume they don't have to go to the level if it's a Legends game. Then it's like, who cares? Just let them do what they do. It's not canon. Whatever. So that's one. Two, they've already made the story of the game. The, the, the Drew Carpician, the writer of Dead Sea Republic, that game exists. Just go and you cherry pick the best moments from that and you build up a brand new game engine that supports third-person action because you have uh, not you have somebody that made um, not dark demon souls is on this somebody that made ghost of Tsushima, so they're obviously going to make it more of like an action oriented combat style versus turn base which I think most people that I talked to said all you have to do for KOTOR a remake is just update the combat style and it's good it's great it's amazing so that's all they have to do and that's what it seemed like they were doing so for me, I was flabbergasted when I found out that like, oh crap, it got delayed. Like this is the safest bet for a game like coming out on time. Like what happened? So like when you fire two creatives that are the leaders on this thing a week after they showed, it's like, what did they show them? Like how bad could that have been where they just got fired like that without even any, like was it that bad? Like what? Holy crap! Yeah, like that's see that's what I'm thinking as well, is like. Like, well, maybe here's the thing. Here's the thing, too, to think about, like from from another perspective and angle of it, though, is what if what if they're. Let's say the what if the game was what you just like explained, like they updated a few things, 
Um, they they kept all everything else the same, etc. But what if the people they were presenting the game to was expecting a total overhaul like Fallen Order or something? You know what I mean? Like they had higher expectations because they saw all these other Star Wars games come out like Fallen Order, Battlefront, etc. And then they see how Knights of the Old Republic looks and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, why does it look like this and not like Fallen Order? You know what I mean? Like higher expectations. Yeah, it's definitely they raise the stakes. And I don't even know what engine this game was going to be using. It's crazy. But man, oh, man, like this just puts a damper on things because just last week we were talking about a delay for Star Wars Hunters. Then we get a delay on KOTOR Remake. What's going to happen next? We're going to delay Jedi, Jedi Survival of 2024? Like, oh gosh, I I shouldn't have even put that out in the ether. Because now that I put that out there, <laughs> that could happen. But I was talking to the guys on the um, Star Wars Underworld podcast. They were talking about the reveals of the figures that we were talking about last week. And I think Ben mentioned that those figures are going to be out this fall. So um, that bodes very well for that game to come out around March or February. Because why would they put out figures for a game? A year before it came out so I think that one's gonna be pretty set in stone because EA and Respawn will do everything Lucasfilm will do everything throughout the game to come out on time because it already got pushed technically that game was gonna be coming out this year but then they decided you know what let's just put it on the new gen systems which is the right thing to do because then they don't have to make a game like Halo and have that delayed like a year because the last gen console couldn't handle the engine well well i think that's one one thing like don't get me wrong i'm like one of the biggest critiquers of ea because of my madden experience but like (laughs) the good thing the good thing with them is at least at bare minimum they're pretty good at hitting their release dates like for the most part i would say um like you said they push fallen order back because of you know the whole putting it to new gen like that's that's totally fine but like for the most part like you know, Madden hits every year on time. Fallen Order hits on time. Like, you know, most of their EA games hit on time because, like, that's one thing we know about that company is they love to make money. And why would they push games back and, you know, risk losing money? And, like, I think I think Fallen Order is pretty much a lock to make it into next year. I really do. Yeah, it's it's got to be. But, like, the more they push these things back, the more oh, it makes you stuff... worry. It's... Well, no, I was going to say, the more... The more they push this stuff back, the more of a chance there's going to be one hell of a Star Wars year when we're going to get like three or four games in one year because they'll just all be coming out. <laughs> hey, bring back the olden times, like the late 90s, early 2000s when we're getting like games left and right. Like, like crank them out, Star Wars. Yeah. Like, we, like, like we need it. We need it. <laughs> so right now we have seven games currently in act, uh, active development. We have KOTOR Remake. We have Respawn, which is working with the Bit Reactor development team to make a Star Wars strategy game, which I'm crossing my fingers here that it's going to be a Empire War remake kind of spiritual successor in a way. Uh, we got the Respawn. It's also working on a Star Wars FPS. I'm guessing that's going to be a single-player game, maybe like like uh, Republic Commando. We got Star Wars Eclipse. We got Star Wars Hunters, Star Wars Jedi Order, or Jedi Survivor. And whatever Ubisoft's open world Star Wars game is. And and I think that game is going to be coming out sooner rather than later because they just delayed the Avatar game, which is being made by the same developer by like two years. So I'm thinking, you know, this is, again, more speculation. Don't take it with anything than a grain of salt. Maybe they delayed that game to push up the Star Wars game or something. 
So that that is something that might be talked about in September when Ubisoft has their upcoming like press conference thing with their their upcoming games. So there you go. There's seven games currently in active development. I mean, I'm just assuming Kotor will come out eventually. People are saying that there's a good chance it just might not ever happen just based on how bad this thing might have gone, but I'm going to try to remain optimistic as I can. Um, <laughs> I, you know, the title of the, the stream is Should We Be Worried? And yeah, I think it's something to worry about when, when you, as you put it, they, they fired two of the lead people. So this, that could be a whole revamp of the game. It's, it is what it is, right? And, and I've gotten used to so many damn game delays that for me personally, not even just looking at Star Wars games, but just games in general. Just look at this. If, if you're complaining, and I do this all the time, and I have to take a step back. If you're complaining about you can't play the, the games that are supposed to come out this year, there's no way you played every other game that came out the previous year. So it's just a nope. good time to tackle your backlog. Right now I'm still playing for, through LEGO Star Wars, and I'm having a blast. After that, I plan on playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. That game came out almost three years ago at this point, or two yeah. years ago. Oh yeah, that that's the big thing as well. Like you know, of course this this is a Star Wars um, show, but like you know, like branch out and try other games. Like in the meantime, when Star Wars is on hiatus in terms of gaming, like branch out and find other games. Like I know for me, when I get um, Game Pass in October, when my Xbox Live expires, I'm gonna probably play the um, the Mass Effect games because I think they're on oh. Game Pass, um, and I've never really played those before. Dude. Like I've, I've I played I played them like very sparingly back, way back in the day, like on the first game. But like I've never played them on like current systems, anything like that. And I want to I want to just play through them because, you know, it's like a change of pace from Halo and Star Wars and Madden and all that stuff. And I want to um, yeah. just do a full like Mass Effect playthrough. Yeah. So if you get Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, which is 15 a month, that includes Xbox yep. Gold. And I'm sounding like a damn infomercial for Xbox right now. But <laughs> It really is the best deal in gaming, I gotta admit. And uh, you get access to EA's entire catalog, which does include Star Wars Squadrons, Battlefront, Battlefront 2, Jedi Fallen Order, and Jedi Survival will come there probably like a year later. Um, but they also have Mass Effect Legendary Edition, and that is like the de facto version to play because that is updated for like the current gen systems, and you're getting fast load times. It looks freaking beautiful, and that is also on my agenda playthrough, even though I played through the first game about three or four times when it first came out, <laughs> uh, because uh, that is the video game version of Star Wars, if you ask me. It's like the big space opera, and it's the game that takes place over three different games in a trilogy, and all your choices do carry over between each game. So it is it is fantastic. I don't want to turn this into a, um, a Mass Effect <laughs> podcast here, but uh, for those of you that are Star Wars fans... Definitely, definitely check that out. But yeah, just closing thoughts on the the, the, the unfortunate delay of of Knights of Republic. You know, this is probably one of my most anticipated games. Heck, I spent the last five six months like avidly looking at eBay and any other store for a graphics card because I knew that this game was coming out pretty soon, and I wanted to play it on my PC since I don't own a PlayStation. So yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That, that that's that's the thing. Um. You know, to think about when it comes to that, like I seen plenty of people like like, again, don't get me wrong, sample size Twitter comments. So take it for what it is. But if you go to the original tweet, like under that Bloomberg tweet um, from that reporter, 
like a lot of people were commenting and it wasn't just like spam comments. It was like genuine comments like, hey, I just like bought a new PC for gaming and like this is one of my highlight games I'm looking forward to. Or, hey, you know, I was I was going to ask for a PlayStation this year uh, for Christmas or whatever, blah, 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 because of this game, etc. So like, you know, there are a lot of people that were looking into getting new gaming systems like and this was like a big influence on it. And now it's like, well. Maybe I should wait on doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there you have it. We'll get we'll keep you guys updated as we always do um, with everything on the video games specifically here. Is that it is my passion, and no matter what, I'm still gonna be enthused, and I'm still very much looking forward to Jedi Survivor as the first Star Wars game in this era that actually has a continuing storyline, right? Like Jedi Survivor. I was thinking about this the other day about. The fact that, you know, Battlefront 1 didn't have a story. Battlefront 2, whatever. Squadrons, it's its own thing. This is the first Star Wars game in a while. We're, they're building a franchise. We're going to see where Cal Kestis has been. We're going to hopefully find out where he's been for five years because it goes five years in the future. So I'm just looking forward to development of a character that, that started in a video game and is in continuing in a video game. I think that's super cool. Hopefully there will be a trilogy one that we're going to talk about. The Star Wars Jedi trilogy, right? Or something like that. Um, so, there you go. All right. Moving on. We have an update on the High Republic. This is the High Republic. Phase 2 crawl was revealed today, actually, on the High Republic show. So, I'm going to read this off in as dramatic fashion as I could possibly get. Maybe. <laughs> if I can pull up the actual article. Okay, here we go. Star Wars The High Republic Quest of the Jedi. It is a time of great exploration in an effort to unite the galaxy. The Chancellors, and that's Chancellors with a plural, of the Republic, working alongside the courageous and wise Jedi Knights, have dispatched dozens of Pathfinder teams into the farthest reaches of the Outer Rim. But it is also a time of great uncertainty. Communication is unreliable and tall tales of mysterious planets and monstrous creatures abound. Prospectors and pirates roam the frontier, and the worlds of Irem and Arona are locked in a forever war. And on the far-off planet of Dalna, a new threat to the galaxy is beginning to emerge. So, first thoughts on that, Ben? See, I think that, I mean, to me, like, not even being, like, a person that's, like, like dove, like, deep into the higher public, other than just, like, you know, listening to your stuff, listening to other spoilers, etc., like... To me, that's that's an interesting, um, interesting. I would say hook to get someone interested, like looking into it more. You know, um, just because like the whole, you know, when it comes to Star Wars or any type of storytelling, like the idea of like a new threat coming, like it's like, oh wait, what's this about? Like, and then you know, it could make people like go and start like reading, like say even um, saving someone, saving just a Star Wars fan who stumbled upon this like article and read it, and they're like, oh hey, let's let me go back and look at this High Republic stuff now. That sounds interesting. So I feel like it's a good it's a good tease for people that have read it, but it's also a good tease for people that haven't gotten into it as well, if that makes sense. That's a good point. And, and speaking of which, this does preclude the events 
of phase one. I know it's a little bit kind of crazy. It's like, wait, phase two takes place before phase one. We're all Star Wars fans, right? Reno about the original trilogy, and you have to go back to the prequel trilogy, and you go to I've the sequel go trilogy. <laughs> so this is essentially what has exactly happened with the higher Republic. So we are now 150 years before the events of phase one. If you want to calculate the time based off where it is after or before, or rather, the Phantom Menace, it's about 350 years before the Phantom Menace. So we are getting ever closer to the Old Republic era. And I expect and I assume there's going to be references, hopefully, to an actual Old Republic era as we read through some of these books and, and the transmedia there. Uh, but getting into it, I like the idea, as I mentioned off the top, Chancellors. And we've, we found this out at Celebration. Me and Matt from Ion Cannon were talking about this in one of my videos, breaking it down, about the idea of having a co-chancellorship. Having one chancellor who is out in the fringes in the outer rim while the other chancellor is residing in the core. And how they collaborate and how they are kind of, you know, keeping the laws up to date and, and trying to push for more territories in the Outer Rim. I find that incredibly fascinating and I'm very intrigued to see, like, how it goes from two to one. What happens there? Why do we go to Lena So in, in, in phase one and everything there? So that to me is cool because it's a, it's a total um, shift on what we know as Star Wars fans, you know, going from... Chancellor Valorum to Palpatine, of course, and, and, and that's where it ends there. That's what we know of. But, yeah, what happens there? It's the unknown that, that really um, sparks my curiosity when it comes to, oh, I didn't expect that to be a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like that that type of um stuff is interesting just because it lets you, you know, like you said, it kind of lets you try to piece together. Like, how do we go from two to just one? Like, something obviously has to happen to get to that point. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, not expecting what's coming. And then like, you know, we, you've mentioned it before and like we've, we've talked about it before discussing the higher public in general. Like the good thing with all of these stories is like, you can't, you have no idea what's coming next. Like, of course you do, you know, you, you're, you can guess based on like what's happening in the stories, etc. but you can't like, like for example, like to explain my point, Watching the Kenobi show, Kenobi has plot armor. Luke has plot armor. Vader has plot armor, etc. Yeah. Like, like none of these characters in the higher public have plot armor, basically. Nope. So, you know, anybody could get taken out virtually at any time. Like, you could have any of these main characters, like, in the higher public, like, go through several books or comics, etc., and then just get taken out out of nowhere because they don't have plot armor, like, pre-established plot armor, like you know, a lot of our on-screen characters do. So, like, that's a big bonus for uh, this time period, I would say. Yeah. Um, one of the authors, Kevin Scott, is always getting flack because he has been, like, the George R. R. Martin of the Star Wars universe right now, and he's got a body count yep. that is racking up close to George R. R. Martin's <laughs> at this point. So, again, um, I was having a discussion about this earlier about how canon currently interfaces with everything with the movies, the games, the TV shows. And there's been discussions online on Twitter recently where it's like, yeah, everything's canon, but some people think that it still hasn't changed. People still think that the, the films, the TV shows, and the video games set the precedent, and then the books and the comics, a lot of the times, they just kind of fill in the gaps. They, they serve as the mediatory kind of media, which is there to kind of flesh out some reference to things, but it's not like groundbreaking but then you get yep. to the High Republic, and the High Republic is a thing of its own because it's doing just what the movies, the films, the series, uh, and, and the, the video games are doing. It's paving new territory in completely new eras that eventually 
the TV shows are going to go into, right? Like, the High Republic was a thing before the Acolytes said it was going to be in the High Republic, so they already established that was an area. They were building up to that before the TV series was announced. So the High Republic is that area. If you're looking for hard-hitting, surprising Star Wars content, this is the stuff you want to start reading because this is the stuff that, like you said, will truly truly shock you and add a lot more context to the prequels for sure as it's already been doing with like the dogmatic ways of the Jedi. We're seeing that kind of come through. Yeah. Well, I mean, it can do that, but it can also add context. I would say, of course, like, uh, you know, this is a major assumption, but it'll, it'll for sure add some type of context to the Acolyte when that comes out because, you know, it's taking place after the High Republic era, like shortly after the High Republic era. So, you know, you'd assume that show's going to have, like, references to some of that stuff. You know, maybe some of the characters are, you know, bleed over characters from, uh, you know, from, like, the tail end of the higher public novels and comics and things like that. Like, you know, whatever whatever you would say, like, is the most, like, recent, like, close to the Acolyte books as possible or, like, the Acolyte series as possible, maybe you'll get some of those characters or references to those characters um, etc. in the Acolyte show itself, which would yeah. be pretty sweet because, mm-hmm. you know, presumably with it being Sith-oriented, they'll be talking about all of these High Republic Jedi, or at least referencing oh to them. Oh my gosh. I can't be I can't wait to be the guy <laughs> that's gonna go around just not even caring about, like, going up to my casual uh, friends, uh, casual fans of my friends be like, hey, remember when they said that guy, the Elzar man? And I'll give them, like, I don't even care. Like, do you want to know the backstory of him? They're like, yeah, whatever, man. I'll just go on this tirade of long, like, 10-minute discussion of, yeah, he went over to this planet. There was this huge war. They they, they, they broke through uh, Valo, and they, they had this big festival dismantled with the Nile. And then he went to the Star, Starlight Beacon, and that crashed down. I'll, I'll go over, like, a 10-minute discussion. Yeah. I and they'll be like, holy though. crap, dude. And I'll be like, yeah, go read Light of the Jedi. And, and, yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll see. I could, I could like, you know, even us joking around about it, like I could honestly see that happening because like, say from a Sith perspective, you're going to have your master and apprentice, like presumably the acolyte is the apprentice for the series. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that's what like the acolyte, acolyte basically means student. Um, so like, you know, you're having the student and the master and they would be talking probably about those Jedi. Like what other what other Jedi would they be talking about? It would have to be people from the higher public, unless they're, of course, talking about, like, the current-day Jedi, like, in the, the current, current Acolyte story. Yeah, yeah. because we like, do know that this story is taking place, like, 100 years before, like, what we yeah. see in the higher public phase one. So, I mean, that's still close enough where they could be like, hey, you know, people like Yoda and, and whoever still lives by the end of the higher public phase three, I guess. Yeah. So, like, I just think, um, I think there's a potential for at least some references. Like, I don't think... I don't think they'll dive like mega deep into the higher public in it, but I think there there probably will be references, um, especially with like the writers on the show being a bit younger. I'm sure they're more connected with uh, like the people at Lucasfilm and like the story group and things like that. Um, so like, yeah, I think I think there's good potential for that. Um, and then like like you said, for like some of like the canon discussion, it's like. It's great the higher public can work around like not having to worry about like dealing with like the movies and shows and games like they can just do what they want basically. Mm-hmm. And like like in current canon, you know, you have to 
like really like Fallen Order. Like Fallen Order, for example, you can't go and like kill off Darth Vader in that series or something. Um, so like you know you have stuff like that where you're kind of bootstrapped. But uh, like heck, speaking of canon, one of the funniest discussions I saw this week, and you guys brought it up last night on the um, the Underworld podcast, was like the the Cassian Andor situation. So like I was I looked into it after your, you guys talked about it last night. So. In Rogue One, like in canon, in Rogue One, Cassian's twenty six. So that means, that means, um, in the Andor show, in the first season, he's gonna be twenty one years old, being played yeah. by a forty two year old. Like, <laughs> whew, man, I guess I guess space aged aged him quick. Maybe he, maybe hey, who knows? Maybe he had a backstory living on Tatooine when he was a kid, and it that's aged all I gotta him super do. Fast. They gotta like, just, just say hey. Yep. Grew up on Tatooine and moved away from Tatooine, and I'm 21 and I look 42. Like when I was looking it up, you should see my face. I was like, I cannot believe, I cannot believe he's 26 and he's going to be 21 in this series. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to ask the story people that when I see him at the next celebration. Uh, oh yeah, the, so he'll probably be like only 21, huh? They'll, they'll be like, well, his his birth certificate was faked. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Oh man, that's interesting though. Yeah, I mean, geez, you'd expect us to get a trailer. I I wouldn't be surprised if we we are next week are breaking down another Andor trailer because we will be within one one month. We've always had a second trailer come out at about that one month mark, and there's always two trailers. There's always the first and the second, and then after the second, it's like an onslaught of TV spots. So yeah. But then here's the thing. It's like huh, they also have the Lego special out next week. I would say they want to like two weeks. promote the hell out of that, and then as soon as I remember with um, was it Obi Wan? The last episode came out, and they announced something like the day that it was out, or it was um, uh, Boba Fett. It was the book oh, of Boba oh, Fett. Oh, it was Mando. The last episode. It was Mando to Boba Fett. No, no, no it was the, the last episode of Book of Boba Fett. They put that out, then they put out the poster for Kenobi the same day. Oh yeah, that's what it was. Yep. So I could see them totally doing that like Friday, just. Keep an eye on you on YouTube because maybe we'll see a trailer or something. <laughs> but if not next week, then it's gotta be the next week. It's gotta be. There's oh, like yeah. I, a I, little I, TV I spot that that's already out there that shows like two images that it's not really worth talking about in my opinion. So, but what's worth talking about in my opinion is this awesome ILM docu series. All six episodes are now streaming on Disney Plus. It's called Light and Magic. It's produced and directed and written by Lawrence Kasdan. I do believe that um, uh, Ron Howard's production company is the one that's in charge of this. So he's also, I think, like an executive producer or something, most likely on this thing as well. I have to check it out. But do you actually watch any of this yet, Ben? Yeah, I watched the first episode today. Um, actually, when I was eating dinner, I just watched it like three hours ago. Um and I really, I really liked it. I was surprised at some of the stuff we got in it because, to me, especially like with us being like hardcore Star Wars fans, I kind of went into it like not being like an arrogant Star Wars fan, but I went into it thinking like, okay, what? You know, I probably know all this stuff. This is probably just for like your your mom and pop who want to yeah. get a quick behind the scenes type. You know, you you know what I mean? Like get a quick behind the scenes of Star Wars and keep it moving. But uh. But I was surprised, like there was a lot of stuff that I I didn't um, 
didn't really know or like at least like getting the different perspectives of some of the people working on the um, the uh, working on ILM like that was really interesting. And of course, just getting George Lucas like I mean, you know, us as Star Wars fans, it's so like George Lucas is kind of like your 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 big missing Bigfoot these days. Like you don't hear <laughs> from him much like you don't hear from him much. You don't, uh, you know, I, I guess he's like your Yoda, like living on Dagobah. Like you just don't hear from him. And uh, so it's just great getting to see George because that was definitely a new interview of George shot, oh, like, yeah. you know, older George. So, um, you know, it was great getting him talking and, uh, you know, and then, of course, seeing like the old the old uh, uh, interview with him talking yeah. as well on that like, chair that was really awesome. Yeah, on that chair. Like I'd actually not seen that one Me before. So that must be like that must have been like an archived clip somewhere, or they might have found it from like a you know a news thing or whatever. But I uh, I hadn't seen that before. Um, and then just overall, like I feel like it was just a lot of like feel good stuff because like 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 George mentioned in there, like they didn't have like the capabilities to go and do the special effects that they wanted. So they basically had to just create it. Like they had to like create the actual technology to be able to make the effects that they wanted. So, uh, you know, it was cool. Like seeing how they got the whole band together to do that. Like, uh, yeah. So that's kind of like my opening, I guess, salvo for, for this. Yeah. What I will say is that there is so much unused footage that I was going into this thinking the same thing. Like, uh, you know, this is going to be entertaining for me because I feel like it's going to be just recycled for, like, the mass audience that hasn't seen the stuff now that they have Disney+. Plus. But I was yep. very, very wrong in his assumptions because by by having all these legendary people like John... Uh, what is it? John Deerdick or... John... Uh, it's like Deerdick or Dreer, Dreerdick or something. Like, so, I, I, I... Something like that. Yeah, so him, but then you have Dennis Muir and you have Phil Tippett. You have all those guys, and it's cool that they're, you know, most of them are all still around. They're in their 70s, I'm guessing. So it's cool that they get that first-hand experience, but you can, see, you can hear the passion that they're they're giving Joe Johnson. You can hear the, the passion that they're giving for the project and how everybody kind of, ha- like, had to know a little bit about every aspect. Like, uh, you know, the model makers kind of knew how they would shoot it, and they would kind of know, like, how they were doing the... Um, the murals or whatever they're called, the um, the backdrops. Oh, that painting. that was actually a very interesting. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting part. Like, not to interrupt you. Um, I'll, I'll be quick on this, but like, uh, one of the most interesting mural parts was when they were talking about doing the mural for the Death Star shaft mm-hmm. when Obi Wan was walking out on the bridge. Like that part was actually really cool. Like how they explained it, like what it looked like before, after, like they flipped through the images of what it looked like. Uh, before after and then like on screen um i thought that was really neat and like they even talked on there like you know it is funny like the way they make it like you know you have these high bridges like it's basically the fall to infinity how they described it and you know the actual turnoff valves for the um for the equipment is like on the outside on the edge so you're having to walk around this little edge or versus it being like right in the front of the bridge um, so it was cool, like seeing how they uh, use the mural for that sequence. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. Like it's, it's like the volume back in the nineteen seventies because you, you don't know where it starts, you don't know where it begins, and that that was really neat seeing about that. 
I liked seeing the culture they have. Um, the culture compared, there's, I forget the gentleman's name, but the one guy that was a little bit older, because most of the crew that was working at LM, people that need jobs, they're out of college, they're looking for a place to work, they're in their 20s. They don't have a lot of connections. Like, like a lot of them seem like they were living on their own. They didn't have families yet. So they were just spending like 16 hours a day just working on stuff they loved. Like it, for them, it almost didn't seem like a lot of work. For them, it was just like a, almost like a, a, a hobby that they were getting paid to do essentially making cool stuff. But then you had this one guy that was like middle aged. He would go to Disney Studios, work on animation, very like buttoned up, like very structured. And then he would show up to like the Lucas, the ILM place, and <laughs> people would be like partying and just having fun like going down like airplane evacuation inflatable slides and dunking yep. in like water filled like storage crates to cool off because there's no air conditioning <laughs> like all that stuff i just loved hearing about it and and it just how it must have felt to just be on the cutting edge but like also like not being super serious and like enjoying life a little bit oh for sure like that guy actually was one of um of course like you have like the main people you enjoyed like george and uh, george of course is like you know, the bit I feel like the big draw for a lot of people watching this, you know, because they want to hear more of George Lucas. But that guy from Disney, um, it was cool hearing his story because, you know, he mentioned that like his dad worked at Disney and he wanted to like step out of his dad's shadow um, and like do something like more, you know. So it was cool like that. He was like working with uh, with all the people from ILM there. So like I really liked hearing like his story. And then uh like one of the best stories on there that I could I could relate to personally actually was you know when they were showing like the um the one guy man I I'm really bad with these behind the scenes names but um but like the guy who was doing like the the stop motion claymation stuff oh Phil Tippett um yeah Phil Tippett um I can I can relate to that because not not with claymation but like back when I was in like sixth or seventh grade you know 12 13 years old whatever whatever age range you are so yeah about 13 i would say 14 i um i actually you know got you know uh, first introduced to like that whole claymation stop motion thing and i actually applied that to like lego and i literally made my own like little like 60 second um lego stop motion movie with with uh you know, I literally took like thousands of pictures, um, you know, had my had the, had the camera set up, had the camera set up, you know, and I, you know, take a picture, adjust the Lego figure, take a picture, adjust the Lego figure, take a picture, adjust the Lego figure, you know, or adjust the set around it. And like by the time, you know, I got done with it, I probably had like, I don't know, five, six thousand pictures taken. And then, you know, I went, spliced them all together, sped it up on Movie Whoa. Maker, did all that stuff. And then like, you know, by the time you get Whoa. done with all that. When you when you take so many shots and like you know yeah. you're just making these micro adjustments like you know by the end of it like I literally had like um, I mean I guess at the time it would have been like the Obi Wan and like Vader like oh little Lego God. figures you know and I had them like fighting with their with what? the light with their lightsabers like moving around the set and stuff and oh. it was like a little like 50, 50, 60 second like little stop motion thing I mean it took me I actually did that over a uh, winter break one year for like the school year like you know you get your like week yeah. and a half two weeks off or whatever and i literally did that it was like 10 hours a day every day like i had the lego set set up perfectly in my room um on a table and i was like okay whatever i do i cannot bump this or it'll mess up everything so i uh yeah so like i like i can like definitely relate to like the people 
like that started with that stuff because I made like a little 60 second like stop motion uh, short back when I was like 13 years old. Yeah, that's that's incredible. That that's that's so cool. Um, I wish I was creative. I would just like (laughs) I would just get my action figures and not film anything, but like make really cool like what if scenarios. That's yep. You know, oh yeah, shifts and all. Well, well, that's that's some of like the best parts of this stuff. Like seeing all of this stuff. Of course, like we're not like you know we're not in we're not filmmakers or anything. But like seeing this stuff. Like to me, it, like it makes you go, oh man, I wish I was part of that culture. Like just seeing like their teamwork and stuff, it's like I would love to be a part of that. Hmm. So another thing I really liked about this is the fact that they're explaining about the models and how you know Star Wars, like a lot of the physics don't make sense, but I like the attention to detail nonetheless. Like they were talking about the Millennium Falcon. Oh, they would get this greebly to look like a wire that would be going to like a power box that would power this. So like they did like actually think about the design of some of these ships. Details that I never even crossed my mind that also like blew my mind a little bit where I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's interesting there, you know. Oh yeah. Some of those um some of those like the uh not I guess not mechanics or like I guess like the viewpoints like seeing how the ships were like moved around like you said like just it's interesting just to like get the perspective of how they were developed like how the ideas behind them developed and how they like you know translated to on screen because you know for the most part I feel like a lot of Star Wars fans like we've seen so many behind the scenes things like um the uh, the one documentary on Disney Plus it, I I can't think of it um oh Empire of Dreams um, like on that one, for example, like you see cuts and bits and pieces of like some of the behind the scenes stuff with like the ships and whatnot, but you don't get like the like in-depth detail like you do with these guys, like with this documentary, like specifically like explaining like, oh, we are doing this with like the ships, like the motion, um, you know, just like the motion of like how, you know, they were talking about like the, the models of the ships, like using them, like, you know, uh, how they, how they move them around and like how George wanted them a certain way and, blah 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 like all that stuff was just um it's just so fascinating to like hear the hear all of these people talk about it yeah one of the cool things that was happening i that blew my mind as well was how they filmed um the different aspects of the bottles first off i like that they uh, uh i wish i knew this guy's name i should search it while you're talking um the guy that was in charge of ilm john something john Knoll. Uh, no, he later was in no. charge. Uh, this is the guy that that was in the beginning. Um, guy with oh, the beard. Jo- um, um, <laughs> yeah, John I, something I mean, with it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you can type it up. I, I'll uh, continue like what you're talking about. Like, yeah. So like, like what you were saying though, it, it's interesting. Like seeing like the way they shot like the battles and whatnot because George mentioned in in here that you know so many of the other prior movies and things john dextra yep him like you know george mentioned like so many in the prior like movies and things you know they would be these long exposure shots of like the ships and stuff versus versus like these quick quick snappy cuts and like george george even mentioned he's like an energetic filmmaker so he wants it to be quick and snappy versus like a long drawn out boring shot and you know that reflects in his in um specifically in a new hope especially 
Yeah, one of the things that was there's there's a lot of cool George Lucas moments. The the finest one for me was when they were explaining about how they were taking so long doing like the escape pod shot, and then they did the shot with like the Death Star turbo laser, and they showed it to George, and he's like, "You only got me 144 shots, and this movie's due in six months." And he was like looking at the camera in the, in the recent interviews, like, "Yeah, I was angry, but I was like laughing because I like that's how constrained he was." It's like. Yeah, he probably would have had a heart attack at the point where he was probably cursing every person out, you know, on the set. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think like A New Hope. I mean, I, I at the time, you know, it was called just Star Wars. Like at the time, um, like Star Wars, it was such like a tight project, as in like in terms of the time restraint for it. Like you know, they were dialing down within six months, and then even a few months before it, they were they were doing edits and things, um, just because. Like, you know, the limitations of the technology back then, like even, you know, you have all this great stuff with ILM, but still it is like this, I guess it would be 1976 into 77. Like still, you're not having any of the technology you even have on your smartphone now. So like the fact they were able to uh, pull it off is, is incredible, honestly. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, I found that moment really good too. Like when George said that, I was like, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and just how they had to scramble to Dykstra was getting these people hired uh, that weren't even necessarily film people because it blew my mind how they had to pioneer all this stuff. Like, this technology didn't even exist to make these, like, these motion cameras and all. They got, like, people that worked on freaking motorcycles that were good with machines and machining parts and stuff. They would get, like, people like that to work, right? So it was like... It was like... And at one point he was saying something about a certain part that was like $1,500, like an, like an inkjet mold or something like that. And the guy was like, oh, just go out and, and buy it. Like, like, and that was a $1,500. Like back then that would have probably been like probably close to $10,000. I would imagine and the guy that like gave him the money just didn't bat an eye because they're over there in Tunisia spending like like a hundred thousand dollars a day filming so like a thousand five hundred for like a little simple like thing was like yeah just go and buy it that's like a drop in the bucket for us just go out and get it like yeah just the production how they would be buying up like literally bulk buying the little model kits for like the world war ii fighters and stuff that you could buy like hot hobby shops yep well yeah out of those places um like the little um the army figures, like all of that stuff just to, uh, you know, set the models up and whatnot. I mean, you had that, then you had them, uh, talking about how they were like buying up stuff from like the bulk army supply stores, like for certain shoots and things like that was pretty great. Like, it's just, it's great. It's, it's just so cool seeing like how they, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically innovated, you know, like they, they had to come up with this stuff on the spot. Like you mentioned, you know, there wasn't this technology to do these like motion cameras and different things like that. Like that would literally be like you and me going, hey, let's start a, uh, a Star Wars podcast like we are. You know, if if we were in the time of like radio, let, let's let's just be able to do it from home. You know, let's somehow create a video web camera. We can hook up to our hook up to our radio station at home and talk to each other on it. Like, you know, that's literally what it would be like. Like, how are we going to create a camera? You know, so like just the fact these these people were able to create the technology they needed is just um it's like so impressive you know yeah it it really is so 
Uh, for me, as far as like re uh, not reading, watching this, as I said before, if I just like maybe watch one episode a week, that'll like take me directly into Andor. So I think that actually might be the approach I'm taking. Even though I can watch all these in like three days, I think I'm gonna let it simmer, have a nice like aged fine wine, and watch one episode a week and soak it in that way. Um, especially for a documentary, right? It's not. It's not a series where it's like, oh, I gotta watch the next episode. But what I will say is it's really well produced. I appreciate how it's almost like they're telling a story. And they have, like, music that overlays certain parts where it's, like, more upbeat. Like, they're getting their stuff together. Things are going good. You know, they have this upbeat music and stuff like that. So I really appreciate it as, like, a form of storytelling um, the history of the story of ILM. Oh, for sure. I mean, look at the intro. I love the intro, actually. I mm -hmm. really love the intro. Like, you know, you get like so many creators. You get Spielberg, J.J. Abrams, you get George. Obviously, um, major, major props to them opening it with George talking. Like, you you have to do that for this, which, you know, they nailed it with that. But, like, you get him, J.J., um, Spielberg, all these iconic people talking. Um, and, like, I loved even, um, you know, say what you want. Like, I, I'm definitely, like, a, a critiquer of J.J.'s, but... But him, uh, him saying, you know, he thought when he first went into ILM, like it was going to be like the whole, you know, I, I'm going to Wizard of Oz and I'm pulling the curtain back and you're going to be disappointed by the wizard behind like the curtain. And then he said, you know, when he got there, he wasn't. It was like way more than what he thought. It was like magical. So like, you know, it's cool hearing even like a creator as highly touted as J.J. Abrams say that like he was even impressed by what they had at ILM and it wasn't just like a letdown like you'd expect like you know going and seeing a wizard behind the scenes or something mm. yeah so I'm, I'm just looking forward to I'm, I'm happy that this exists I feel like any movie aficionado or person definitely that's interested in visual effects and even the movie industry should watch this because it's not going to be just about Star Wars and I, and I do appreciate how this first episode was Star Wars because they literally made ILM because a production company like this didn't exist. And, and George Lucas says in this that he had to create something to handle this. But they're going to talk about Jurassic Park. They're going to talk about Marvel. I can't wait Marvel, for all the that Jurassic Park like. one. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm very excited for that. And it's it's cool to see the pioneers, the pioneers that work there. So um, I'm sure I'll talk more about some highlights throughout the next couple of weeks as I work through, work through it myself. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it's like we have one release this week. We have Lego Star Wars next week. That'll give us, what, like three weeks of a break in between? And then from yeah. August 31st till new, who knows when, we'll be in Star Wars every week. So, you know, these slower weeks are going to soon be behind us just soon enough. But we'll be back with Milton next week for a traditional episode. Well... We all know that Milton's probably not going to watch <laughs> Lego Summer Vacation, <laughs> but don't worry. We, we will still cover it between you and me, Ben. To yeah, we, we will, uh, yeah, we will, we will, we will hold up the Lego end of the, uh, we'll hold up the bricks over here um, <laughs> <laughs> for the podcast. But uh, oh, yeah, no, man. next week's, next week's going to be fun with um, talking Lego and I'm going to, you know, uh, we can, we can mention our, our, uh, our thoughts on the second episode of this. I'm going to, I'm going to watch the second episode of this documentary next week. Um, and, uh, just go from there. I feel like just basing on the way it's 
the first episode was produced. Here we go. Like we're making predictions for something that's already yeah. out. But I feel like the way it was produced, they're probably going to go in like chronological order of ILM up until, you know, however far they want to go up to. So I feel like they'll probably get into like maybe in the second episode, they'll get into like Empire and uh, and Return of the Jedi. And then they'll transition out into like for episodes, maybe three, four, five. And then like the sixth will obviously be like the finale type deal. But like three, four, five will probably be like your transitional project, your other projects like Jurassic Parks and your Marvels and um, and that sort of stuff is what I'm guessing it's going to um, head in that type of a direction. Yeah, for sure. So that's going to do it to wrap up episode number 68 of Outer Rim Transmission. Uh, so we know what you're going to be up to next week. You know what I'm going to be up to next week finishing this book. We're going to be watching more of, of uh, Light and Magic. And we're going to be watching the Lego Summer Vacation. So make sure you guys all try to watch it if you want to tune in. Well, you don't have to watch it, but we will be talking spoilers next week. And Millen is saying he's laughing. He's, he's joining us in chat, by the way, full disclosure. He's <laughs> he's celebrating his birthday today. So everybody go to Milton Happy Weber birthday, 7. Happy, happy birthday, Milton. Um, everybody go and, and, and send him a message on Twitter. Tweet Adam Milton Weber 7 wishing our awesome co-host a very happy birthday. It looks like he had some fun over there in Jacksonville, Florida on his adventures. So we're happy he got some time off to go and enjoy, go and enjoy some time out there away from work and whatnot. But, um, so yeah, you'll be able to see him next week. Uh, as well as me and Ben, Ben, where can the people find you and what can you be up to this week? Um, you can just mainly go and, uh, follow me on Instagram at real Ben Maynard. Um, I'll just be posting like my, my fitness workouts, things like that. Just, uh, continuing this diet phase. It's just, uh, you know, never ending process because it's like a seven month diet. So I got a ways still. Um, so I'm going to be doing that. And then on Twitter, I'll just be talking mostly star Wars and star Wars and DC lately, especially with like the Ben Affleck news and, um, things like that. So you can find me on Twitter as well at real Ben Maynard. And then, um, don't forget Milton's. Instagram is Milton Seven Weber, so oh. you can find him him there as well. Be, because his Twitter's Milton Weber Seven, and then his Instagram is uh -huh. Milton Seven Weber. Um, we get we get, we got to get that name changed, Milton, if you're still watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you can just find me there, just talking talking Star Wars and superhero stuff, and I'll just pretty much be hanging out this weekend. It's going to be a pretty chill weekend for me. I'm uh, probably going to be just catching up on. Um, I might actually start. Um, attempt to start Miss Marvel. Um, I might it. do that. I might do that this weekend because now I can say, like, I can admit, like, I'm not the biggest Marvel fan. I, I, I know that for sure. And uh, to me, I guess with all of this phase five and six stuff, like, I feel like now I have to start catching up on the Marvel stuff that I missed. So I'm gonna start. Uh, I'm gonna start working on that and probably catch up on Miss Marvel. I need to start peacemaker still in terms of dc my cousin's Ooh, been like harassing me about that, that saying show. how much i need to watch that so i need to watch that and then also um one thing i am looking forward to in terms of like movie stuff i am so excited for that new predator uh like movie like that looks amazing so uh i'm super excited or uh our show is it a show or movie coming it's to a movie Okay, so yeah, I'm I'm really excited for that because I think that's next week or the week after. It is. It's, it's okay. It's soon. I know that. That and Lightyear are coming out on the same day. Oh, oh man, and Lego. I, I know. 
I, man, I know I know what I'll be watching next Wednesday. I'll I'll watch two out of those three. Wait, they come out on Friday because they're movies. Remember? So they oh, released their yeah, series on Wednesday and the movies on Friday. So that's why I'm going to be getting up extra early on Friday to make sure I watch Lego before the show. <laughs> Before work. Oh man, yeah. Gosh, we got a lot. We got a lot of stuff coming, even in the downtime for Star Wars. You're right. It really isn't a downtime. We think it is, but imagine back uh, six, seven years ago when we didn't have anything on the radar, what we would be talking about on a podcast. But suffice oh, yeah. to say, uh, that is it for Iron Transmission number sixty-eight. Um, for all of my content, you're already in the right place if you're watching on YouTube. If you aren't, it's YouTube.com/starraptor going to have my review of the Star Wars Padawan Young Adult Novel based on Obi-Wan Kenobi's Early Adventures that will be up later on in the week, as well as some more comic reviews. And, well, you can tune us tune to us next Friday at 9 o'clock Eastern, where the full crew will be talking about the latest in Star Wars. And, of course, you can download us on any of your podcast streaming networks of your choice. So we hope that you can join us next week. You can join us in the chat like Jesse and Milton did and have a nice lively discussion and some interactive uh, segments will be coming back to the show as we did a couple weeks ago. So be on the lookout for that. Get involved that way. But for Ben, for I, Chris, and for Milton who couldn't join us this week, that's going to do it for us here on Outer Rim Transmission. This was episode number 68. Thanks for watching and transmission.